Praise the Lord. It's a good day. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? You could like do the beach ball. You know. Turn to somebody and say, our ultimate life in Christ. Our ultimate life in Christ. The Lord has this great life for us. And, um, you know, when you start off, you know, when I, when I got, when I was saved when I was 17 years old, I had no idea I'd be doing this. <laughs> the Lord just goes, okay, you, come over here. I'm going to do something with you. Had nobody in the family, nobody, you know, my great-grandfather was uh, uh, a pastor or a minister. But Jesus has this ultimate thing, this ultimate desire. And um, he, you know, you could imagine if somebody was going to be laying on their deathbed and they're saying their last words, they're probably really important. And before Jesus goes to be crucified, he says these words. And he says it's in a prayer to the Father. I'm just going to take one little verse out of the entire uh, chapter 17 of John. But this is just verse 23. It's really important to me. I don't really have notes up on the uh, overhead. It's this prayer to the Father. And he says this. Just repeat this with me. This is Jesus saying to the Father, I and them... You in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This ultimate, ultimate, ultimate Christ life is about being knitted together with the Father and the Son in this holy unity, this place of unity where love manifests, where you know you're deeply loved. God's going to take the, the rest of your life and He's going to keep showing you how deeply He cherishes you. Just what He's going to do. You can resist it. You can run from it. Let, let me tell you this too. If you sat down with, at, a, at a table with Father God having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and he had a favorite, and his favorite subject, you know what his favorite subject is? Jesus. Because everything that he wants you to know is in Jesus. Everything about him is in Jesus. He would just talk about his son because everything that he wants you to become is empowered in you knowing Jesus. His love pours into you because of all that Jesus has accomplished. The Holy Spirit comes and tells you about what Jesus has already done for you so you can step into the fullness of those things that he has already planned for you. Hallelujah. John is the gospel of John. He's the one that wrote that. He has kind of an, a more of an intimacy kind of a approach when he says these words, like he'll say word of life. He uses the word light. He uses the word love. And so I want to read this. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, by this is love perfected with us, that, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because, he, because as he is, so are also we in this world. Now, this we're on a camp here in a minute. There is no fear in love. Would you say that with me? There's no fear. There's no fear in love. This is an amazing thought. This is an amazing thought. Because we come embedded with fear. We come with fear, layers of it. We come with fear of this, fear of that, fear of the other. Fear of rejection, fear of abuse, fear of not being treated correctly. Fear, 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 fear. There is no fear in love. Now, this amazing statement, perfect love, cast out fear. Perfect love, cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, this word punishment is also the word for torment. This morning, as I was preparing this, the Holy Spirit brought up the word torment. And when he does that, he shows me, like, focuses things, you know. He goes, and, I'm, and I've already had this kind of thing going on in my heart about how much, how, how in your natural life you can be so, too active. You're just way too active, you know, and you get too, and you, you start even doing things for the Lord without the Lord flowing it in you and doing it with him. You know, you can end up just being full of activity and burn yourself out. And in the natural realm, your actual disposition is to be active. But you, on a daily basis, this is our calling. We can suffocate that activity with, get this ready, with the tranquil adoration of the Lord in our hearts. Daily adoration before the Lord can suffocate all this, this busy, active stuff. He wants to call you. He, he's calling you into this, this, I want you to walk with me the same way, just, this just as. And see, when Jesus delivered something from the Father, he didn't just say what the Father said. He did it with the Spirit of the Father. And when the Lord, he says, when, when I want you to represent me, I don't want you to just say what I say. I want you to do it the way I would do it. And then that's that whole that unity thing where the Father's love is in you and people are touched because there's a different way that it's being done. Because there's a tranquilness in you. There's an adoration of the Lord in you. There's a peace in you. There's a transformation in you. And you carry something different. And you're not ruffled so quickly because you've learned to lean upon him and abide the way that as Jesus was abiding in the Father, you learned to abide in Jesus. Hallelujah, somebody. This is what we're, the ultimate goal is this knitting together with him. And he says, perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Uh, so the Lord's best being saying, the measuring rod for your love for me has to do with how much of it gets out to other people. How much impact of my love can flow through you. And this is the commandment, he says, we have in him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
Now, I want to I just look at the life of Jesus just for a, a minute here. Um, okay, a few minutes. We're going to look at a few minutes. And I want us to draw some correlation between um, Jesus coming into the world and his purpose and this how Jesus walked and how God wants us to walk and some of the things that happened to him happen to us okay so let me just say this the very first time we see the devil working against jesus is when herod sends soldiers to kill the babies two years and under there's a correlation there with us because when you're brand new see whenever jesus explained it whenever the sower sows the word satan comes immediately to take it you come in here, you know, you're all, if, if hell can distract you and you and keep your heart just kind of hardened and, and it does, the seeds just bing, bing, they bounce off, you know, you bounce, and you walk in here just as grumpy and you walk out as just as grumpy as you walked in. You can walk in here and never be changed, but what happens is the breath of life can come and you can open your heart. There's something of a suppleness and a, a receptivity and, and you go, and, and God will speak to you. And it's, it, he'll say something and it's not maybe even anything I'm saying. He'll just say something and you'll know that God has touched you and there's an awakening to walk in something and you, you want to, so you keep that, you hold on to that. So there's this attitude, this work of darkness that comes against Jesus when he's a baby. There's also when you're young in the Lord, that's why we pray for those who are new in the Lord, that the Lord, that they be kept. Now I want to get uh, to the, the, basically the first, now that was the first attempt. Now here's the big, the first, the first showdown. Jesus is 30 years old. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He's now the heavens open. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, rests upon him. Then, he, then the Spirit of the Lord drives him out into the desert. And this is what happens. He fasts. I don't know, this is supernatural. But he fasts food and water for 40 days. He's just supernaturally sustained by God. And then the devil shows up. And he says these words. If the first assault against Jesus is the same assault that comes against you and me. If to him, if you're the son of God, oh, you think you're a child of God, huh? If you think you're all that. No, you don't really think you're all that. But he makes you think that you think you're all that. That's what the accuser does. If, and this, is, this was the ploy, the ploy of the adversary, was to, it didn't matter really what, the, the, it does matter what the temptations were, but it, it doesn't in this sense, that all Satan wanted to do was get Jesus somehow to agree with him and then put him under bondage. If he would just agree, hey, look, you're hungry, turn those, that stone into bread. Hey, show who you are. Jump off of this pinnacle of this temple and God will bear you up. Hey, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He didn't come into agreement. Just say hallelujah. And I want to tell you, your coming out of bondage of the devil means you're coming out of agreement with him. This is really important. 
because you are a son and daughter of the Most High. And throughout your life, the Holy Spirit is going to say, your thinking processes are not in line with me. They're in line with him. Can you break agreement with that and renounce and disown those thought processes? Can you break and renounce agreement with that lifestyle or whatever Open the door to whatever? Are you there? This is very, very important. We started functioning in that a little bit earlier. And these are those truths that you need to have in your own soul. So anyway, his goal was to get him to come into agreement. And then it says the devil left him in Matthew 4.11. It says the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So now, But this is the other amazing little verse it's in the other book. Luke 4.13 says, And when the devil ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He wasn't able to snare him then. So he was going to look for a moment of weakness, a moment of vulnerability, a moment where he just might have been off a little bit. And try to get him to come into agreement with him at some other point. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying to your own soul? So Jesus comes back from that wilderness experience, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the kingdom of God, heals the sick, casts out demons. This showdown with the devil in the desert, basically what happened is he was saying, I'm not going to submit to you. I am the Son of God. He didn't have to say that. He just Basically, all he did is quote the Word of God. Your way out is just knowing the Word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You don't test the Word of God, right? So it says in Mark 1, 32 through 34, it says, And that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. Notice the ministry of Jesus now. He comes and has a smackdown, breakthrough place, never submits to his own will, his own hunger, his own doubts. He submits to Father's love. He never breaks that tender knitting together with Father. Father God sends angels, and now he's revived. He goes in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, goes ministry. First thing that happens is he comes in this anointing, the power and of the Holy Spirit. And now, here's the deal. Everybody else who's been tormented are coming to him. Everybody who's been under the sway of the devil in this world, sick, hurting, damaged, heartache, diseased, bound by the devil, you see those accounts over and over and they come before Jesus, and these demons cry out, why are you here to destroy us before our time? They come out of the woodwork when Jesus shows up in his glory. And when Jesus shows up in his glory in his church, that stuff man manifests. Are you there? And it says that the whole city gathered together at the door and healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, here's the next thing that happens. 
Jesus goes, now that's over in Capernaum. Now he goes down to Nazareth and he stands in the, the, the synagogue where he kind of grew up. He grows up there and, and he's, he opens up, you know, gets the attendant, he goes, opens up and he reads, you know, Isaiah 61, says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me. And he goes down that list of things to, uh, you know, heal the brokenhearted, uh, set at liberty those who are captive and all. Goes down through that and he says to the people who he grew up with, this is now... Uh, come to pass in your hearing. Here I am. They go, who are you? Then they, somebody said, why don't you do what you did down there? And the attitude was wrong. There was no faith in him. The attitude was wrong. He says, well, you know, a prophet's not welcome in his own hometown, you know. He says, you remember, and they started doing the Old Testament scriptures, talking about Elijah ministering. You know, there's all these, there's famine. There's a lot of people that were hurting, but he went to one person. You know, he, he was talking about the individual ministry where need was... So he was basically saying, nothing's going to happen here. The second attempt. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. And so they threw him down uh, so that they could throw him down from the cliff. We were on the bus, bus four, in our tour in Israel. We drove by that cliff, and the tour guide said, that would be the one, and you wouldn't live being thrown off of there. I went, Wow. They took him to that cliff because we were in Nazareth. And they were going to throw him off of that. The opportune time was with people who were filled with unbelief. They wanted to get rid of him. Who's involved with that? Satan. And it says, but passing through their midst, he went away. I mean, they got him all the way up to the hill. And somehow... He just walked through. Isn't that amazing? Somebody say, I want to do uh, any kind of, you know, people coming against you, you just, Lord, give me that anointing just to walk through. Just walk through. And then he went, to, and, and the, right after that, as he goes to another synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And, when, and they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits to come out. And reports about him went out every place in the surrounding region. This word, when the devil said, when this demon said, uh, you've come to destroy us, it's literally this, to put out of the way entirely, to abolish, to put an end to, to, to render useless, to declare that uh, what uh, one must be put to death. So here's this, the devils are rising up in torment 
Is there anybody here who have had all of your peace taken away and been harassed deeply by a tormentor? Did Jesus do something? Were you around someone with that anointing of the Holy Spirit? Did somebody lead you in prayer to repent of and renounce? Did he show you the place where you came into that torment? See, there's a personal responsibility there. Isn't he gracious? The Lord is so gracious. So many times you'll just be harassed and the Lord says, I just love you so much. And it's like, it's kind of funny. It's like the Lord, I want to touch your hair. It's okay. It's like the Lord goes, I just love you so much. And the anointing goes in and suddenly everything's changed. Just one little tiny touch from Jesus and your whole body comes into peace. Your spirit explodes with gratitude. A joy comes upon you. Just this little moment hey my little guy and everything's changed let's just worship him if he's done that for you let praise right out of your heart say thank you Lord for being my deliverer for being my healer for changing my life taking out tormenting works of darkness because you're of your absolute authority. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? I think another time when uh, he was, attempt was made was the storm that came. Leaving the crowd, they took with him the boat just as he was. In this word, just as he was, he'd been ministering all day long. Jesus was tired. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and, and the waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke, and look at these guys. They go, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> and he awoke. And he rebuked the wind and the sea. To the sea, said, "Peace, be still." He comes out of us a, a sleepy. Oh, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and it was great calm. There's something so beautiful about storms that come, and authority that's given by the Spirit of the Lord to speak to the works of darkness. Of destruction in nature is there anybody here that the Lord put a word in your spirit at one point and you spoke and there was an instant change in either direction of the wind it's works when the Spirit of God breathes in you and you and, and if you don't know that as we mentioned last week if you're a orphan mentality and you think in your independent spirit and you're not really of the Lord you just get all crazy and nuts and think you got to fend for yourself but if you're submitted and you're a son or a daughter of the most high and you know who Jesus is
And you say, Lord, Lord, what, what to do right here? What to do? And he says, just rebuke it. I was talking to someone recently, and the Lord, they were struggling with a sickness, and they were thinking about what medication to take. And the, basically, the Lord, they called me up to ask my advice, and before we got to the end of it, they said, and the Lord spoke to me and said, it doesn't matter which way you go with this medication, I'm going to be with you. And I said, well, I'm just going to camp right there. <laughs> because the Lord has already spoken. And when the Lord has spoken, when he has spoken, it's real clear. So all you do is come along and affirm the peace of the word of the Lord in some of somebody's heart, and everything's established. That's what we do. It's not my word, it's his word. I'm always wanting to know, what has he said? He said, he said something to you. Or will he say something to me? Can we, can we enter into this together and work this thing out? Get divine counsel. Holy Spirit breathe something here. Hallelujah. So the fourth, and then, so that was that one. And uh, now the fourth attempt is uh, the devil through Peter. Remember that one? By that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is opening his heart to his disciples and telling them, this is going to happen. I've been trying to get you to know this, but this is going to happen. I'm going to die. But I'm going to be raised again. And the guys they just couldn't wrap their head around it. I don't think I'm going to be able to wrap my head around that. And Peter looked at him and, and, and pulled him and took him aside. He took Jesus aside and he rebuked him. And he said, far be it from you, Lord. This should never happen to you. But watch Jesus' response. He turned and he said, get behind me, Satan. He knew it wasn't Peter. His buddy was full of the devil at that moment. And he said these words, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. There was an attempt to get him off course. Hell saw an opportune time where another person in his life didn't grasp the revelation of who he was, and they started pouring their advice in, and hell jumped in. Has that ever happened to you? Where God has saying to you something, and somebody else comes along, no, and next thing you know, everything's confusing. I just want you to know that opportune times when the adversary comes are trying to get you in agreement with something other than what you should be in agreement with, which is the Lord's way. And you just got to get, I don't know if I'd stick my finger in somebody's face and get behind me, Satan, but uh, I've had people that haven't had the will of God in their heart for me. And I just go, mm, going to have less of that right now. I'm just going to go seek the Lord and let him establish what's going on. So now we have those attempts, and now here's the great showdown. I, think, I, I said to call this the great showdown because it's not the final showdown. The final showdown, is when he comes back with the white horse. <laughs> and everybody knows. Everybody knows. Right now, it's one heart at a time. I was a, a, a new student at Fuller Seminary, and I went over to the gym across the street, and there was George Eldon Ladd, 
and he was his his um you know older man I think in his 70s he'd written a book called the kingdom of god i read it in college it was just not that super big but it had this powerful revelation in it and the powerful revelation was very simple concerning the kingdom of god are you ready already but not yet Jesus destroyed the works of the devil already. But it's not yet seen in the fullness of what it's going to be. It's seen one heart at a time. It's not seen globally yet. Not yet. But it's already. But say, hallelujah, it's already. Because your heart has already stepped into the It's already. It's already. It's already. I'm saved because it's already. Here's what happened. The devil and religious leaders. This is the great showdown. It started in Gethsemane. Now we end up before Pilate, and then the religious leaders are stirring up the crowd, and they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The third time they said it, to him and said, why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt in deserving death. I, I will therefore, you know, punish and release him. But they were very urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand be granted. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan was duped he thought if I he, he said I didn't get him in the desert I didn't get him in the sea I couldn't use Peter I couldn't get him off the cliff but I can get him now we're gonna kill him and Jesus swallowed up death and broke the fear of death and ruined the power of death that Satan had used all our lifetime to hold us in bondage. And now we can die and wake up in the presence of Jesus. The great showdown. Let's just praise the Lord right now. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Oh, baby, we have eternal hope. We have living hope. We have eternal hope in Christ Jesus. <sighs> Praise you, Lord. So there's this moment. And this is the beautiful thing. This is, this is what we learn as believers Father God says, I want to pattern your life after his life. And Jesus comes on the scene, and demons are having to respond to him because he's the Lord of glory. He's, the, he's God in the flesh. And it's all based on the fact that he's going to take all of our sins upon the cross and break the power of sin's rule and break the power of all, uh, all uh, demons' abilities to torment man by erasing and renouncing and breaking that power. He's done all this for us, but it was in advance before he had to get there and do it. And then his ultimate dealings with the devil was not a rebuke. 
It was a submission to the will of the Father. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And he invites you and me. Let go of your tormenting way. Let go of your ego. Your real deliverance comes not with you rebuking something, but you dying to something. Let that go in. When you let go and you let God have it. When you let the hurt, when you die to having a right to be angry. When you die to that thing that you were treated wrong. You die. The weight of victory is death and resurrection. That's how the tormentor leaves. He goes, what am I going to torment? They're dead. They're dead to me. It's over. I got nothing. There's no, I, I got no power here. Let's go ahead and worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me? We've already ministered so much to this realm of torment. Just lift your heads again. Just lift your heads. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Lift your heads. Let ointment from heaven flow down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for every heart here. I thank you, Lord, that you have broken the power of hell's rule and giving us wisdom and how to partner with you and get out of agreement with the things of the devil. Even now, let an anointing bring light because if your heart is troubled, then somehow potentially your ego is involved, your, your emotions are involved, your hurt is involved, and the Lord says, let me have that. Let me allow death to all of that happen in you, and let me raise you out of that. But you don't know what they did to me. Hey, you can bring that idea to Jesus because Jesus knows every kind of hurt and abuse. I've watched the Lord over and over and over and over and over and over come to minister to people who have been so tormented and the Lord was tormented so deeply on the cross through rejection for pulling out his beard, for being treated and you have not suffered unto bodily, most of us bodily, physical, unto death yet. Does that make sense? Jesus says it's in your emotion realm. Give me your emotions. Give me who you are. Submit to me. In the name of Jesus, fear will leave. The torments of fear will go. When you and I renounce the doors that were opened. This is not a message so much about all the individual ways of renouncing is just the basic idea of it breaking agreement with the adversary but knowing that your way to true life in Christ is a genuine surrender a heart surrender to him I want to say that again 
Just go ahead and let your heart surrender right now. Let your heart surrender. Let it surrender. Um, I got a picture. Um, the Lord wants to wash the bruising. Would you let him have your heart? You're going to wash and heal bruising if you surrender. If you've spoken words that have been rejecting in a relationship, just go ahead and say, forgive me for saying those words. I want to take those words back. If you've said words, I wish I was dead, take those words and say, I'm sorry for saying that. Because the Lord wants to take everything of the work of the fear of death out of you. He just wants to release you. Break agreement with the adversary and step into abundance of life in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, just continue flowing. Those are going to be praying, come on up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If there's some area of your heart that the Lord is showing you and you need some clarity on it, you want to break this agreement, come on up here and uh, say, I'm renouncing this. Because let me just tell you this. The anointing of God is in this house. And the anointing breaks yokes. Happens all the time in here. We don't do it with show or display of emotion. We just watch the Lord do it. And he just releases people from captivity on an ongoing basis. Hallelujah. Before we go, just place your hand on somebody's shoulder and say, bless my brother, bless my sister. Let your healing glory, your healing power flow into their hearts and their lives. I want to just make one definition clear. When Pastor Roger said, submit to Jesus, you know, most of us don't like that word. If someone says, you need to submit to me, you want to punch their lights out, right? Because it's been abused. But that's not what that word means in the Word of God. Submission means to come under the protective covering of. I'll say it again. When you submit to Jesus, you're coming under his protective covering. You're not submitting to a worldly tyrant or an abusive friend or husband or wife. You are submitting to the Lord of love who gave his life for you. And how much more would he not give you everything? Amen? love on each other. You're dismissed.